Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. All right, so much better. You know, I love being uh, one of the pastors here at Fort Christian. And, and as a pastor, one of the things that I really delight in getting to do is I, I get the opportunity to do a lot of weddings. I've got like four already scheduled to do uh, this year and three on the books for next year already. And it's kind of fun, and I enjoy that a lot. And what I find that as I'm getting ready to do a wedding is I recognize that uh, being married almost 40 years, that I have, um, well, a little bit of wisdom when it comes to marriage and relationships. And so each time I'm getting ready to do a wedding, I try to meet with the family or the, the bride and the groom, the, you know, the engaged couple, and talk to them about marriage, hopefully to ask them a lot of questions and get them talking and to share some wisdom and some truth that I've picked up over the years. But prior to that, I always try to find a time to get together with that couple and just talk about the wedding day. You see, a marriage lasts a lifetime, but that wedding day, well, it's important and special and we want to make sure it comes off well. But I just ask like some crazy, simple questions like, do you know where to get the marriage license and when to get the marriage license? And do you know who is going to be in the wedding and how many people are going to be in the wedding and who's responsible for doing the decorations and who's responsible for the cleanup, right? Kind of pretty basic questions. But there's a question that's not on my pre-marriage list that should be because I always end up asking the groom a few minutes before the start of the wedding is, hey, is it essential that we start the ceremony on time or is there some special valued guests that we want to make sure are here before we actually start the ceremony? Now, I never, ever want anybody to feel left out. But you think about people and who runs late. We've all got those people, right? There's that aunt who always seems to be late to everything. Or that favorite cousin whose flight gets delayed, you know, coming into BWI. Or maybe, you know, you're one of those people whose dad was almost late for your wedding because he was changing the oil in his truck, right? That might be a true story. But as it is, I generally ask the groom just a few minutes before the wedding, is there anybody, is there a valued guest who we need to make sure is here before we actually start this ceremony. And honestly, I've done a lot of weddings with, without exception, well, maybe one. They've all started on time. And there was this one. It was an exception. It was a very kind of odd sort of situation where I asked the groom beforehand, I'm like, hey, is there any valued guest that's not here yet? Anybody that might be a late arrival and you don't want to start until they get there? And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. There is one. And so we waited. And then we waited. We've only waited for a couple of seconds to find out what I'm going to say next. But the bride was hanging out in the bride's room and she was waiting. She was waiting. She was ready. She was primped and she was prepped. And she was wearing a beautiful dress and her hair and makeup and nails were all done to a T. Guys in the room, can you imagine making your bride wait? I mean, picture yourself as a groom, right? The bride has, this is her day. She's made the plans. She's coordinated the show. And you have the nerve to leave her in the dark, waiting with anxious expectation for the ceremony to begin. I mean, there had better be a really, really good reason for that to happen. So this bride is expecting a 4.30 wedding start time. 
which means at about 434, 435, she should be hearing her entry music, her processional music, right? She should be hearing her song being played. So she knows she's going to come walking into the sanctuary. She's going to walk down the aisle and she's going to meet her groom. But not now. She's still waiting. She's still waiting. Ladies, can you imagine your groom making you wait? Can you imagine, ladies, what she was going through, the emotions she was feeling? I mean, the groom had shared the plan. He had helped set the stage. He said he was going to come. He said they were going to be together. He was going to take her as his bride. He had made a promise, but he had left her waiting. And waiting. And by now she's anxious. And she's jumpy. And every noise she thinks is her cue. Every door opening and closing she thinks it's someone coming to get her. Every tick of the clock taunts her and teases her. Yet she still waits. The only thing I can relate that to is like when, when one of us is standing on, on backstage behind that black curtain and we're supposed to come out after a song is done and then it's one of those songs that has like four or five or six places where it's possibly ending and we're sitting here like, is it time yet? I can't imagine. Is it time yet? So, fingers are dry. You know, we're not supposed to lick your fingers, you know, coming out of COVID, but... Anyway, here I am with the groom standing by the front door. And this late person finally arrives. And I'm like, all right, good. Let's get this thing going. And he says, no, wait a minute, pastor. There's somebody else. And then there was another somebody else. And for the bride, 435 turns into 445. And finally, the very last valued guest arrives. And nearly half an hour after she expects to meet her groom, the wedding actually begins. This morning, we're going to be wrapping up our final chapter of our study through the book of 2 Peter. Where in this chapter, we will hear Peter's words to Christians, to the church, to the bride of Christ as they wait expectantly and impatiently for Jesus, for the groom to come to be with them and to take them home. Now, perhaps you've missed this last month, whether you haven't been able to catch us online or here in person. We have been studying through a series here at Fork uh, titled Peter 2, or Peter Also. And we get that because in our Bibles, in our New Testament part of our Bibles, we have a letter that Peter wrote to his friends, and we call it 1 Peter. And then he has a second letter that he wrote, and we call it 2 Peter, or as we've called it, Peter 2, or Peter Also. And over the past three weeks, we have been reminded that we have a precious faith and that we have all that we need to live a godly life. And we've been reminded of the power of God, of, us, of God's word, and how obedience to God's word has the power to change our lives. And we've been, been reminded to not allow any false teachers to come in and take the truth of God's word from, it, from us or to twist it for us. And in this last chapter of 2 Peter, Peter reminds his friends, among other things, of the surety of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to read that here in a minute, but before we do, let's pray. 
Jesus, we want to be reminded, um, as Peter's listeners were, um, of your goodness, of your love for us, of your plan for us. That we want to be reminded of the things that the prophets had told us and that your word declares for us. And we want to apply those things to our life. So help us to do that today, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, in just a moment, the slides are going to come up, and we're going to have the entirety of the third chapter of the book of 2 Peter. You can follow along on the slides, or follow along on your phone, or follow along on your paper Bible. If you don't have a paper Bible and you want one, you can grab one back in the back corner. Um, in that particular Bible, we're going to be on page 983. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you've got a different translation, I will just like give you a, a verse reference from time to time in case you kind of got off from where we're at. But we're going to go ahead and read what Peter had to say to his friends, starting in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter writes, This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth, following their own desires. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Verse 5. They deliberately forgot that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used that water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like the day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he'll set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames But we are looking forward to new heavens and a new earth that he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Verse 15, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved This is what our beloved brother Paul, who, if you're familiar, wrote a lot of the books in our New Testament parts of our Bible. He says, this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. Verse 17, you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. 
Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Now, if you're a note taker, and I know some of you are, here's kind of where we're going to go for the next few minutes. When we reminded, I want to remind you, just as Peter reminded his readers these things. First, he does the very first one. He says, be reminded, be reminded. Peter's also going to tell his listeners and us as well to be reassured, be reminded, be reassured. And lastly, Peter's going to tell us to be ready, be ready. Starting again in chapter 3, verse 1, Peter tells his listeners he wants to stimulate their wholesome thinking. He wants to refresh their memory. And as he sums up this last chapter of his letter, he gives them a couple of reminders Verse 2, he says, remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Verse 3, he says, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. If you think about that first one, Nick talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Ben talked about the second one last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to those, go back to fortchristian.org, latest messages. Give them a listen, right? Be reminded, Peter says, of the things that I have just written to you, the things that I've just told you. But see, now Peter steps into some new teaching, right? And it may be something that you and I don't spend very much time dwelling on, or it could be something we spend way too much time dwelling on, because it's a deal, right? And it was a big deal for Peter's listeners, for his friends, for his audience, for his readers, so Peter writes the next few sentences so that his readers, his friends, so that they could be reassured. They could be reassured that Jesus had not forgotten about them. They need reassurance. Let me give you a little backstory. In the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant part of our Bibles, the prophets predicted or they foretold about one who was coming, about a Savior, a Messiah, a chosen one of God. And among other things, maybe you're familiar with these, there was a prophecy that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in this obscure little town called Bethlehem. And when we think about his birth, say for Mary and Joseph, who had this divine revelation from an angel, Nobody was really looking for Jesus at that time. Nobody was expecting the Messiah to come at that moment. And even though it was the fullness of time, very few realized that it actually was the time, except perhaps some magi from the east. But even when they came bearing gifts, they weren't sure quite who they were bringing them to or what he was going to be about. See, it was all kind of confusing surrounding his birth. But then about 30 years later, Jesus began his public ministry. He was a great teacher. He was a miracle worker. He was a lover of the unlovable. But more than that, he was Messiah, God himself, the giver of new life, the giver of eternal life, the one who could forgive us all of our sins. And those were claims that he made. They were audacious and bold promises, yet he proved them and guaranteed them to be true by rising from the grave by coming back to life just as he has promised. And we think about his birth, 
him becoming Emmanuel, him being God with us, just as that brought confusion to many people, so did his teaching during his ministry. So did his proclamation that he wasn't an earthly king, but that he was king of a heavenly kingdom. He wasn't exactly what people expected. They expected a reigning on earth kind of king, a overthrowing of the Roman government kind of king, a restore the nation of Israel to its former glory kind of king. But that's not why he came. And now, in Peter's writing, we see that there was, and I say still is, some confusion regarding Jesus' promise to return, to come back for them, to establish that heavenly kingdom. Now, you know, if you've studied Jesus very much, you'll know that he spent uh, quite a bit of time during his earthly ministry declaring, making promises about a day when there would be an end to the troubles of this life. And the reality of a troubled life was certainly not unfamiliar. It wasn't lost on the, the people that Peter was writing to. For them, it was especially real. Trouble was normal. Fear, rejection, persecution. The church was scattered. Believers often ostracized by families, friends, even their communities. We even read of people dying simply for following the way of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I don't live in that time or, or in that region of the world. But we've certainly got problems of our own, right? When I think about the last year, a couple years, we've had this pandemic of COVID. We've had infestations of cicadas. How many of you almost forgot we had cicadas? I mean, COVID is like overrun everything. It's like, oh, wow, we did have cicadas. They were crazy and creepy, <laughs> Right? We have high gas prices, and I understand they're going to go higher. Listen, the past couple of years, we've had toilet paper shortages and sriracha hot sauce shortages. When we get a little more personal, though, many of us in this past couple of years, we've lost loved ones. We've had marriages crumble. We've had unwanted medical diagnosis. Right now, there's a war going on in Europe, and I hope you guys are praying about that situation there. And I wonder if maybe under our breath, or maybe even out loud, out of frustration, or as a legitimate, sincere prayer, we have found ourselves saying, Lord Jesus, come back soon. Lord Jesus, please come back soon. See, though our situations are different, though the darkness in our world has a different shade of gray than the darkness of the friends of Peter to whom he was writing, I think this morning we need to be reassured that Jesus has not forgotten about us. Be reassured that Jesus has not forgotten about us. When Peter was writing this letter to his friends, this letter of 2 Peter, there may have been as little as 30 years or a little over 30 years of time that had passed since the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these were hard years for them. They may have been praying that prayer, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, come. Right? Because I believe that from what Peter is saying here, that these believers firmly believed and they were firmly convinced that they were living in the last days. 
that this was the end of time, that the return of the Lord certainly had to be very near. I don't think this was something they conjured up in their heads or made up, right? I'm sure they were clinging confidently to the very words of Jesus, the words that Peter would have heard and spoken about and talked to them about over and over again. And maybe they were hanging on the words that Jesus had declared that we read about in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus is speaking about future events and things to come. And he says in Matthew 24, starting at verse 30, he says, And then at last... The sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. And we can skip down to verse 42. He says, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, he says, if a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And maybe it wasn't those words they were thinking of. Maybe they were thinking of those words where Peter had talked about that dinnertime conversation. What we know of as the Last Supper. It was the night before Jesus was going to go to the cross. And Jesus was speaking to his closest followers to prepare them for dealing with all the hard times that were going to come. John records it for us in John chapter 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Little historical reference here. Jesus in this moment was speaking and referencing the marriage custom of their culture, the marriage custom of their day, where there was this waiting period during the time of engagement or the time of betrothal where the groom would go and the groom would prepare a place for his bride. And when all the preparations were made, with much hoopla, the groom would come back and take his bride as his own. And I wonder if maybe that picture was firmly etched in their minds. Or maybe it was because after the resurrection, after Jesus met with people, and after he ascended back into heaven, Luke records for us this account in the book of Acts where there was this expectation. Let me go ahead and read it for you. It's Acts chapter 1, starting verse 9. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So Peter and the other disciples and then the early church and then later on, the very people to whom Peter were writing, they knew that Jesus had painted this clear picture of him being the groom and the church being the bride and that he was going to be coming back for his church, that he was coming back for them. 
And now the readers of the second letter of Peter, they think it's the time. They sincerely believed that it was time for the wedding. It was time for the groom to come and get them. Just like the bride who was in that waiting room, primped and prepped and planned and prepared. Peter's audience felt like they were waiting in the bride's room wondering, is it time yet? Is it time yet? But listen again to the words that Peter reassures them with. Verse 8. He says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. When I read those words, I cannot help but be reminded of a conversation that Jesus had back in John chapter 3. John records these words for us. John 3, 16 and 17, maybe they're familiar to you. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And so 30 plus years after the resurrection of Christ, after the ascension back to heaven, Peter is reassuring his audience that Jesus had not yet returned because he wasn't done saving the lost. And here we are 2,000 years later wondering, where is Jesus? Why hasn't he come back yet? And we can be reassured that he is still patiently waiting for people to repent, to come into relationship with him. And for those of us who are his church, for those of us who are followers, for those of us who are his bride, though it might seem like, you know, the time is right, though it might seem like the end is near, though with anxious expectation we are waiting, waiting, waiting for the wedding to start, the groom, Jesus is saying, wait a minute, church, wait a minute, I know you're ready, I, I know it's not easy to wait. I know that there are false teachers who claim that since I haven't come, that I'm not going to come, or that I don't no longer, no longer need to come. Uh, but hold on, he says. Just you wait and see. Be patient. Oh, be patient. The wedding will start, but there are still valued guests who have yet to arrive. So be reassured. Be reassured. What do we do with this? What do we do while we are still waiting? Well, we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus is very clear about this. But we do know that according to Peter, that the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. His patience gives people time to be saved. So Peter tells his listeners, and in turn he tells us, here's what you do. Be ready. Be ready. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Verse 14, and so dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Verse 18, rather you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior 
Jesus Christ. Peter says, while we are still here, be ready. Friends, being ready doesn't mean being perfect. It doesn't mean having it all together. Being ready means that though we are looking forward to Jesus' return with anxious expectation, we kind of got a, an eye to the sky. He says, we, while we remain on this planet, we should have our heart and our hands and our feet firmly committed to being the believers and to be the church that Jesus has called us and commissioned us to be. Being ready doesn't mean that though our hearts yearn to be in the presence of Jesus, that that should be our sole focus. Our sole focus should not be on where we're spending eternity. Someone once said that we can become so heavenly-minded that we're not doing any earthly good. See, friends, Jesus himself has not ceased to make people his priority. He's not ceased to let his love interact and intercept and change people's lives. Jesus has not ceased in 2,000 years to stop drawing people to himself and drawing people to his church. And neither should we. This is certainly not the time to lose hope in his promises. It's not the time to be swayed by false teachers who try to negate our faith. But neither is this the time to kind of sit back rest on our laurels, clinging to the good things of the past. This is not the time to stop living our lives as a testimony to the life and to the love of Jesus Christ. My friends, being ready means that this should be the time where we fix our eyes on heaven, certainly, but also where we take the time to fix our eyes on our friends and on our families, and our co-workers, and on strangers who are still outside of a relationship with Jesus, who are sitting outside like valued guests, waiting to be invited in. This morning, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to know you are a valued guest. Jesus wants you to be a part of his kingdom. Jesus is waiting to have a relationship with you. And if you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins, I would love to spend some time with you and pray with you, have a conversation with you. And we'll do that right over here when I'm done preaching, right? Come on up during that song. I would love to have that talk with you. Or maybe you've never been baptized yet. We had a gentleman come up after the service last hour, was baptized. Baptism is a picture of the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very thing that we are placing our hope for our present and our hope for our future on. If you've never been baptized, you want to get baptized today? The baptistry's warm. I know I've been in it. It's good. We would love to do your baptism today. You can do that this morning. Maybe you're already a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe following after him isn't something new for you, but maybe this morning you need to personally recommit to live a life that shows the world that you are among those who God has called and who God has chosen. And that you're not simply content to, to have the promise of an eternity with Jesus, but that you will be committed to bringing others along with you, to bring others into the kingdom with you. My challenge this morning for all of us, though, this morning and as long as you have breath, may we all commit to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that when the groom comes to take us home, that we will be ready. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you um, that through the words of Peter that we have been reminded um, of your promises, that we have been reassured, reassured that you have not forgotten us and that we can be ready to meet you when you come. But help us not to forget that there is a world who you came to save. You didn't come to condemn us, Jesus. You came that we might repent of our sins and enter a relationship with you. That we might choose to follow after you. We would surrender our lives to you. Surrender our decisions to you. Trust you with our present, God, and to trust you with our future. And I pray that each of us would not walk out of this door today without the full assurance that we are part of that wedding. That we are part of that ceremony. That you are coming back for us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.